I'm Audrey, and you're listening to the Agworth Podcast. And radio show. With, with our dad, Jeff Shulman. I'm Jeff Shulman, a professor at the University of Washington's Foster School of Business. And it is my pleasure to bring to you another episode of Seattle Growth Podcast and radio show. Every episode this season has brought you perspective on how people are coping with the pandemic. With an explosion of case numbers and new restrictions intended to curb the spread of the virus, the stories of adaptation in this season of Seattle Growth Podcast become all the more important. Many businesses yet again find themselves in a fight for survival, with major sources of revenue shut off for the foreseeable future. And residents feel the anxiety of an uncertain future and a profound sense of isolation, especially in these upcoming fall months. But know this, you are not alone. These stories show the resilience of Seattle's people and businesses and give hope that anyone can find a way through these dark times. Now, today's interviews were recorded before the recent spike in cases and subsequent restrictions on businesses and social gatherings. But it is my hope that these stories shared will give a sense of hope that this next round of challenges can be overcome. In my first interview, entrepreneur Drew Agrawal discusses how his businesses adapted to the pandemic. He provides valuable insight that could help business owners of all types weather this upcoming storm. And in my second interview, Seattle mom and former candidate for Lieutenant Governor Ann Davison shares how she coped personally with the pandemic. Davison shares how the pandemic dramatically changed the process of running for political office and opens up about what has her worried about the future of Seattle. I was able to conduct safe, socially distanced interviews thanks to the kind folks at KBFG Radio. Combined, these interviews give distinct perspectives on the changes in Seattle and offers insight that could help you build the future that you want to see for yourself, your business, and your community. If you've been enjoying this season of Seattle Growth Podcast and Radio Show, please let me know by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or reaching out to me on Twitter at Prof Shulman. I've been motivated to keep bringing diverse voices to you by the fans who have expressed what this podcast has meant to them. So again, leave a review and reach out to me on Twitter at Prof Shulman. With the challenging road ahead, I think we all need to hear how others navigated the first wave of the pandemic as we chart our path for navigating this coming wave. Now, to learn about how businesses can adapt, join me in my conversation with Drew Vagrawal. I'm here with Dhruv Agrawal, the owner of True Brands. Dhruv, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks. Why don't you start by telling me a little bit about yourself and uh, a little bit about True Brands? Yeah, so um, I'm uh, the, the founder and CEO of True Brands. Uh, we uh, moved to Seattle in 2003 and started the company up here in Seattle. It was a cheap place to live back then, and it's been a, it's been a wild ride. And what does True Brands do? Uh, we do so we we do uh, wine and bar products and other gift products, and we sell to retailers and wine and spirit stores, and we sell online, of course, now even uh, more online uh, with uh, COVID. And how would the listener recognize what you did? What you do? Uh, you would find us. You would find us in your local wine and spirit store or your um, uh, online. Uh, you'd see we have about ten brands uh, that we sell under. Uh, so we have brands like Visky and True and uh, Twine and, you know, eight other brands that we sell under. You said you've shifted more online with COVID. I'm curious about, you know, this pandemic's been difficult for everybody. 
how are you coping or adapting? And you could talk about this professionally, personally, or both. Sure. Yeah. So it's been it's been quite a quite a journey for me. Um, back in April, when COVID really became serious, like everyone, we started working remotely. Um, we had to lay off about thirty percent of our staff. We were looking at big declines in our in our revenue, and um, it looked kind of like the sky was falling down uh, back in April. And so um, that was kind of a you could say pretty intense time. Um, I, I actually ended up taking back over the company. There was someone else running the company and I took back over and had to make some hard cuts. And um, so, you know, the first thing was actually adapting to work from home. We have about um, 100 people in Seattle. And so we had never, we'd always been in office and we'd always thought being together in person was uh, a really important part of, of getting work done. And so that was probably the biggest transition uh, was navigating uh, COVID work from home, and then also the financial impacts of um, COVID on the business. So, why did COVID impact your business? What what was the specifics of how that happened? Yeah, and I think I think especially you know um, consumers react to un- uncertainty in in different ways, and um, what we saw was um, we sold to a lot of retailers, so you saw a lot of smaller retailers um, completely locking up, you know, not open, not buying. Um, you saw larger retailers kind of putting a hold to their purchases because they didn't know what was going to happen. So we ended up seeing, you know, about a 35 to 40 percent revenue decline in a matter of like a couple of weeks. Um, and, you know, we had uh, um, started started seeing losses, you know, in the uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars um, during that time. So and I want to geek out in business since I'm a business yeah. professor here at the Foster School of Business. Did you have cash on hand to weather this storm, or is this a, a debt play that helped you survive this big drop, unexpected drop? Yeah, that's a great question. So we d- we have a bank, a business line of credit, and you know we have to talk to the bank. Now, one thing that's nice when something happens that affects everybody is that you get a lot more forgiveness from people like banks. Like if you're if just your company's, you know, if we were just going down by thirty five percent and the rest of their clients were peachy then they might have not been as understanding. But because everyone was kind of feeling it, they kind of said, OK, we understand, you know, just draw from your line and, you know, let's let's just, you know, we're going to have to wait this out. And then I want to go deeper as well into yep. the work from home transition. Yep. What made that possible? How did you adapt to that world? Yeah, it's it was interesting. You know, I, I'm it's amazing how we're creatures of habit. You know, I um I found that so we ended up we went from home. We obviously we use uh, you know um, a Google products, and so they have their Google Meet, um, you know, which you know I'd say is of you know mediocre quality. But we we went went home, uh, started communicating. I think it was really like you know necessity is the mother of invention, and so we basically had to adapt. And what that looked like was that looked like um, every we basically wanted every person to be in a huddle every day. So we had a, a cadence of of 30-minute uh, huddles that every person in the company was in a huddle. And then we started doing a leadership huddle every morning. Um, uh, so that was one thing. Uh, we started getting much more data-driven in terms of, you know, you can't measure productivity by whether, you know, Ralph is at his desk. You have to kind of have all the data behind whether the work's getting done and how it's getting done. And then we adopted more digital tools, too. So we adopted, like... 
Asana for project management and you know communication, we uh, adopted uh, um, a couple other tools that just helped us coordinate in a remote environment. Um, and yeah, and and we were able to to actually operate really, I would say, seamlessly to the to the degree. And I and I want to bring up here that we also have a warehouse in Indianapolis with another hundred people, and that was a whole other story because obviously in a warehouse situation, you can't work remote. Uh, so um, you know that was kind of a, a different experience. So we're kind of like a tale of two halves, like. Our, our office staff was able to work remotely. We got the digital tools. We got everyone in huddles. Um, uh, and, you know, we, we were able to manage trans- transition. And our, on the warehouse side of the business, the distribution side, you know, that was a little more interesting. And that leads actually into this next question that I have for all yeah. my guests is, what aspects of Seattle has made navigating through the pandemic better than it otherwise could be? So I know it's a little hard to disentangle the Indianapolis versus yep. the Seattle experience because they're different lines of your business. But is there any aspect of Seattle that's made going through the pandemic easier or better for you? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I, I think, um, you know, you, we have like a digital, you could say a lot of our, I mean, I, and this would be just generationally, a lot of people are digitally native um, or are, are, have spent most of their working careers with a computer. So it helps just to have a young, diverse workforce that's used to working uh, with computers and working um, on them. I would say Seattle specifically, um, I I think, you know, there's a high level of education here. So you've got, you know, highly educated people that are tech savvy, you know, it makes it easier, obviously, to work remotely. And then let's talk negatively. Are there any aspects of doing business in Seattle during a pandemic where Seattle's making it harder than it otherwise mm-hmm. could be? I do think there's a little bit, Seattle culture has a little bit of being, um, being, you know, not as you could say direct. And I think especially when you're not in the room with each other um, and you might not be able to read body language as well, you're not kind of around each other, you know, sometimes, you know, it's important to be more direct and more kind of clear in your communication. And Seattle may maybe doesn't have best reputation for that. And let's talk personally. Yeah. All three of those questions, any of those that you want to tackle from coping with COVID, uh, coping with COVID here in Seattle, uh, positives and negatives. We're used to seeing our family, uh, family in California and and in India. Uh, We're used to traveling, you know, at least once a month somewhere. And so, you know, COVID's just been obviously a total lockdown. I've got two young girls, one and three years old, and they're they had a case of COVID at their preschool. So that got shut down and we had to kind of navigate how to handle that. So I do think it's been, you know, kind of a roller coaster ride for parents um, through COVID. Uh, but I don't think I'm, you know, unique in that. I think I'm just kind of going with it. And, and I would say the one thing that has been uh, really great is that we got into like uh, gardening and, you know, doing more things around the home. So that's been cool. Given how you're navigating and adapting to this pandemic. Do you have any lessons that you would share with another business owner? You know, you've got true brands, you've got landmark, you've yep. got commercial real estate portfolio. Any lessons that you would share with another business owner? Yeah, you know, <clears throat> I consider myself, you know, maybe this seems uh, ironic, but I think as an entrepreneur, you have to manage risk. And so I see myself as a risk aware person. And I would have never in a million years thought that something like this would happen where we wouldn't have revenue in our event business for a year and a half. You know, like, 
even in the worst recession, your revenue might go down 20%. So, so, so my advice would be that, that risk, um, there's known risk, there's like the known, the, the known knowns, the unknown knowns and the unknown unknowns. And I think that this is the, an example of how risk um, is really um, sometimes uh, under the water and you can't see it and you don't even know where it lies. So I would say most importantly is to not overextend. I think it's important. I feel lucky that I wasn't overextended. Otherwise, I would have had I, I was diversified and I was not overextended. And that has allowed me to survive. But this could have gone very differently for me. Um, uh, so I'm just just reminds me to to make sure and um, stay humble, uh, I, I would say, um, when thinking about how to uh, to grow a business. All right. So yeah. we're going to switch gears to Seattle in general uh, rather than just uh, its yep. intersection with the pandemic. But first, new this year is trivia. And so I put the guests on the spot here to just to share so to see how well you know oh, this okay. community. Okay. Um, there's no pressure. <laughs> I'm going to fail this one. <laughs> but how many World's Fairs, uh, it could be plural, could be zero, could be one, but how many World's Fairs has Seattle hosted? I'm say and one. extra credit of the year or years, if there's I'm going to say one, uh, 1962. All right. So he says one, 1962. <laughs> We will keep you and the listener in suspense. Okay. We'll get to the answer in a moment. Uh, okay. but you said that fairly confidently. I, I think I'm wrong. <laughs> uh, you, okay, so you, you said it confidently, but you don't feel the confidence here. Uh, we'll get to that answer in a little bit. But first, I want to talk about Seattle's changing. You know, uh, these last nine months, it, it feels at least to me that there's just been some dramatic changes here in Seattle that we might yet be again in a, a transition point. Hmm. What changes have impacted you what changes in Seattle have impacted you positively? And that could be impacted you personally or mm. on your business. Yeah, that's a good question. I think um, what has impacted me positively in Seattle right now? It's hard. It's, I have to dig deep for this one because it's been, you know, it's been, I would say, tougher rather than easier. But um, let's see. What has po impacted me positively? Uh you know, I would have I would have to think about that. Sorry. <laughs> okay. So the, there's no challenge, there no changes in Seattle in these last nine months that have impacted you positively, or at least that come immediately to mind. What about negatively? Are there any changes that are affecting yeah. you negatively? Yeah, I think you know, and, and and again, I think it's been a tough a tough thing. So like you know, I have I have some commercial properties. So you know, tenants you know that that have um, you know, especially restaurants or any kind of a. They, you know, they're not paying. And so, you know, that's been tough. I had one of them go out of business. Um, and so, you know, that's been really tough. I think that um, overall, there's a lot of uncertainty, I would say, with work from home, with people having different, um, not needing to commute into work. What does Seattle look like? I mean, we were kind of on a boom. And now the question is, what does Seattle look like? Um, downtown is obviously you know, boarded up and, you know, what does it look like post pandemic? And so I think that's causing a lot of concern, I would say, um, in terms of like the future of what, you know, the city's going to look like after the pandemic and trying to get some certainty on it, especially if you are trying to decide whether to locate your business here or you, you have property and you're trying to figure out whether it's going to actually be solvent or not. So let's, dive deeper into yeah. it again uh sorry for the listener normally we, we like personal stories but now i'm kind of geeking out when i've got some business to to sink <laughs> my teeth into when a 
tenant is unable to pay, yeah, what happens to you as the owner of the building? Like, are there any uh, recourses that you could take to get compensated in some way? What happens? Yeah, that's a really good question. And, you know, there's two types of tenants. There are tenants that are, you could call them the mob and pop tenants. They're an entrepreneur, someone who has a dream, they're building a business, and generally they don't have a lot of backup resources. They've probably spent most of their money in their business. They're trying to keep it going. They're trying to grow it. And so something like this is really tough. And my all my tenants actually, um, well, I should say, uh, the, the tenants I had that were like tech, I had a couple tech tenants that are, you know, they have VC funding. They're fine because they're doing great in this. But the the people that are running, especially entertainment or, um, you know, uh, restaurant businesses are really struggling. And so that puts you in a tough spot as a landlord. You don't you care about these people. You don't want to put them out of business because it's one not a nice thing to do. And it's also not good for the long term health of 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 your building. And so what I ended up doing was just letting them not pay rent. Um, and, uh, even with that, one of them basically told me a month ago, Hey, we can't do this, even though they were paying no rent. Um, and one of them is paying a reduced amount and we're trying to work through it. And, you know, I'm, I'm staying patient. And so, you know, yeah, it's just been tough, but I think, I think to not be like empathetic, um, uh, is, uh, not in the long-term interest of anybody, you know, at this point, because, um, if your building is vacant, who are you, who's going to fill it? You know, like it, it doesn't solve anything to to kick someone out right now. Is it like an IOU? Is it completely forgiven? Do you have yeah. any insurance that covers kind of unforeseen loss of tenant uh, yeah. revenue? Is there anything like that? That's a great point. So it turns out that insurance during the uh, SARS epidemic in like early 2000s, they wrote out all pandemics out of insurance. So... Um, you know, theoretically, my insurance policy would have covered us if we were pre-2002 or three. But, um, you know, the insurance companies are, I would say, you know, good at figuring out the fine print in terms of not paying out claims. So, you know, we didn't get any help from our insurance, even though it, it is an, an obviously an interruption of business. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we with the tenants, we basically worked out um, a plan where where it's like pay what you can pay and then we're going to defer the rest and we're going to make it up, you know, when the times are good. And hopefully once everyone can get together again, they're going to want to go out even more and these businesses will do well. And so it's kind of like you could say a deferred plan um, to wait until they get back on their feet. To be clear, as a building owner, I still have a mortgage to pay every month that's substantial. So, you know, I still have um, a huge obligation going out to the bank every month and the banks have been, I would say, somewhat sympathetic but they are not you know they have now kind of i would say ended their sympathy so i'm getting no further help from the banks and so as a landlord you end up feeling like you're cut between a rock and a hard place you've got to be sympathetic to your tenants but you've got a bank that maybe is not not willing to help any other changes in seattle that have impacted you professionally or personally negatively um, let's see what else uh, what else can i speak to well you know and I, so we run an event company called landmark event co and the primary pr- primary uh, uh, mission of the company is to host uh, events, uh, large scale events. So we do like, you know, hundreds of weddings a year, for example, and uh, those can't happen. And 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 it's not only that the weddings can't happen; it's that 
the the people involved are distressed. They're having a lot of, you know, this this is the wedding they've been dreaming of for their whole life, and now they can't have it, and there's a deposit, and it needs to be delayed. And so there's been a, a decent amount of stress, I think, around, you know, not only the financial side, but the human side of dealing with, you know, all the cancellations. And right now, under the state of Washington law, you know, we're extremely restricted. We can't have have most events at all. And if you do have an event, it's very small. It might be 30 people instead of 200. All right. So you've got several changes that are impacting you negatively here in Seattle. Yep. Do you have any ask of the listener that could soften the blow of these changes? <laughs> you know, anything that you'd like the listener to do or think about that could help build a better future? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. I think, um, uh, well, I, I think, I think we should wear our masks. I think it's important for us to get, get through this. Uh, you know, one of the things that's been interesting for me is I'm, I'm part of like this international program. And so I talk to people that I know in China and you wouldn't believe it, but I mean, they are going to concerts and going out to dinner and it's like nothing has changed. Like everything is back to complete normal over there. And the way that they did that was by these, uh, you could say almost draconian measures. Uh, but a big part of it was wearing everyone wears masks, everyone social distance. You Once you do that for two or three weeks, then, you know, um, the pandemic comes under control and everyone can get back to it. So I would rather take the bitter pill up front instead of this kind of slow go, which I feel like is just bleeding businesses and, you know, patience from everybody. Now let's switch to talking about the future of yeah. not just what you want, but what you expect. We've had unprecedented amount of people and money moving into this city over the last decade. Yep. And now we feel like we're in another transition. And my question for you is, what do you see for the next 10 years in terms of whether money and people will still flow back into Seattle and at the same pace or whether there'll be some changes? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question because the, the reason why I've invested so much in Seattle is because fundamentally I believed in it as a center for tech, a center and with tech booming, obviously we have two of the biggest companies in the world, Microsoft and Amazon in Seattle and then all of the related ones. What's interesting is that tech is turning out to be a double-edged sword. At the same time that these companies are doing amazing things, they're also now potentially going remote and not needing people to move to Seattle. And Seattle has been a tech story, I think, for the last 15 years. And um, it's become an expensive city. And these companies are looking now at their bottom lines and looking at their workforce flexibility and thinking, well, why don't, instead of having that person move from Idaho, why don't they just stay in Idaho and we'll pay them a little bit less salary. Um, they'll have less expenses and, you know, uh, everyone's happy. So I think um, I I don't have as clear of a view on it. I I still believe in tech is going to be um, a big deal. Um, and so I still feel positive on the region, but I wouldn't expect the kind of increases in rents that we've been seeing and the kind of like um, construction, uh, you know, boom we've been seeing. I would expect that to moderate. And at least my forecast is that there's going to be a recession here. Um, you know, we're kind of due for one. And uh, so I think Seattle will obviously be part of that story as well. Let's dive into this work from home since yep. you're experiencing having your employees at True Brands work from home. Yep. Do you see a comeback for the office when the pandemic is over? Yeah, it's a great question because what's happening right now is even at True, we are hiring uh, people outside of Seattle. When we're hiring, we're opening it up to people in other places. 
you get access to more talent. So the question is now when COVID's over, how do you how do you carry on with having a integrated workforce where some people are um, you know in another state and some people are in in the Seattle area? I think what we're probably going to end up with is a series of things where we come together on a cadence, maybe quarterly. And then it's kind of more ad hoc when you want to come in the office. But I do think this has fundamentally broken the back of the like traditional come into the office every day. I just don't see that continuing. Um, and I do think that companies like ours are going to look to, you know, recruit talent from other places in the U.S. and other places in the world uh, because we're now in a remote environment. The office is not dead, but it's going to be transformed where it's kind of a drop-in instead of an everyday thing? Is that yeah, a yeah, and, and there's a lot of articles online talking about, oh, what does the future of the office look like? And, you know, uh, I, I, I think it's still yet to be seen, but I don't see how we don't have a, a, a shrinkage of office space, kind of like what we're seeing in the retail um, side, where retail, obviously commercial retail is, you could say, imploding to some degree. Um, I think we're going to see that with office uh, potentially, and that's potentially going to be a, uh, you know, a big financial issue. Kind of like, I would consider it not that much different from like mortgage-backed crisis of 2009. There's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of debt that's backed by commercial mortgages in the office world, and so if the office may not return to what it was before, yeah. and Seattle in these last ten years has grown accustomed to highly paid workers by the thousands coming to the center of downtown, yep. which means they want to live close to avoid traffic, which means they're spending money at the businesses downtown. You say there's a recession but uh, on the horizon, but how do you see Seattle clawing itself back out of that recession if the office, which kind of brought all of these ex highly paid workers to the center of the city, is reimagined? Yeah, I think that's a great question. You know, I, I always bring this example up and I think about like when you go to the Midwest, especially like cities like Cincinnati, Detroit, you know, you see these cities where people built giant buildings and there was a boom and people really, you know, invested in these cities. And then when the jobs left, the cities kind of like didn't need these buildings and there was a lot of vacancy and, you know, they kind of went into decay. So I don't think that we can take for granted where Seattle is right now. I think that with the trends that are happening, I think because there's so much tech in Seattle, I think we're going to be fine. But I don't think that cities in general can take for granted the changes that are happening with the workforce and work from home. And, you know, um, who, who wants a commute, right? I mean, at the end of the day. We're going to get to concluding thoughts in a okay. moment. But okay. first, I have to answer your trivia question. Okay. <laughs> you said with confidence, 1962. And you're confident you then withdrew that confidence, <laughs> but you were spot on that we held the Century 21 Expo in 1962, which is when the Space Needle, what this, yeah. this was all about. But we also had a World's Fair called the Alaska Yukon Pacific Exposition mm. on these hollowed grounds right here near on the UW uh, campus in 1909. Oh, okay. So you had part of it right. That nice. 1962, spot on. Very good. Uh, and there were two World's Fairs. So thanks for playing. And now it's time for any concluding thoughts. Yeah, I think that I think overall what's happened in the last nine months has just accelerated the inevitable. I don't think any of this would have happened, um, would not have happened. I think we've just moved ahead in the future 20 years. And so I guess bring it on, right? Uh, what, what better time than today to take on 
the inevitable. Drew, thank you very much for joining me today. I appreciate your time and perspective. Okay. Next up is an interview with Seattle mom and former candidate for Lieutenant Governor, Ann Davison. Before we get to the interview, I wanted to share news of another project I'm working on. If you are a product manager or involved in bringing new products to market, we have launched a Foster the Product event series at the UW's Foster School of Business. Foster the Product is more than just a chance to learn from established product leaders. It is a community of support for experienced and expiring product managers. If you want to connect with people and ideas that can advance your product career, join the UW Foster the Product group on LinkedIn. That's UW Foster the Product group on LinkedIn, where you can find news on our upcoming events. Now, join me in my conversation with Ann Davison. I'm here with Seattle mom Ann Davison. Ann is also affiliated here with the UW, helping with the Global Business Program. Ann, thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. It's my pleasure. So why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Well, I am a mother. That's the kind of first and foremost thing right now. Uh, during COVID, it feels like uh, I'm no- nothing but a mom right now because uh, you got to tend to little ones. So I've been in Seattle for 25 years. I uh, grew up originally in Texas, spent some time overseas, some time on the East Coast. Uh, but Seattle's been my home for the bulk of my life now, um, and, and right in the city. I've only lived in the city of Seattle for these 25 years all over in different neighborhoods. Um, I'm a practicing attorney. Um, and I have a previous experience in professional sports, namely at the Seattle Supersonics. Whoop! We'll bring them back. Uh, and uh, and most recently um, went into politics uh, for some for some time uh, because of the, what's going on in our city and our state, and just concern of being a mom. All right, we'll get to talk about some of the changes in Seattle that you've recognized that may or may not have motivated you to get into politics. First, I want to talk about the pandemic. Can you tell us a little bit about how you've coped? either personally or professionally with the challenges that the pandemic is bringing? Yeah, I love that you're asking people this question because I think it makes us all be introspective on ourselves to be able to articulate it and then to listen to other people, right, and see how they're coping and maybe that, how they cope will will help us. Um, For me personally, uh, the, the early days were extremely tough. The abruptness of no school all of a sudden, that was extremely tough on my kids, but being the, the one to take care of them uh, and kind of create curriculum even for my kids to have something to do, uh, it was really tough in the early months. Um, and the complete closure, uh, I'm an athlete, I'm an endurance athlete and a CrossFitter now, and the lack of having that uh, community and that aspect was difficult. So now that is my survival is CrossFit five times a week. Um, and uh, I'm going there right after this. <laughs> and it really is uh, help with the, the, you know, the mental pain cave of a workout. Um, it helps me get through this long lasting quarantine time as they start to talk about, how, you know, we might see some need for closures maybe uh, in the winter months. Uh, I just go, okay, it's, you know, just set the endurance meter and the stamina level a little bit longer, right. And just be able to maintain that mental grit to get through. So you recently had a campaign for the lieutenant governor position here in the state of Washington, and that intersected the pandemic. So how was it coping on the campaign trail uh, with the pandemic? It was quite uh, a shock. Um, I had announced in January, I campaigned all of 2019, and then I started a new campaign in January, end of January 2020. Um, and by end of March, it was a completely different Uh, campaign that we were running. We had to do everything virtually like everyone else, but it's extremely difficult to make personal connections with people that you've never met, that you're trying to persuade and and have them understand uh, the fire I do have in my gut to help make our our civic life better. 
it through a camera, right? Um, I think I succeeded on a lot because people were really um, energized, they said, after the fact, but it is a difficult task to do that. Um, I'm, I'm used to really working hard to motivate people when I'm with them um, in a group setting, but to do it through uh, you know, a camera is really hard. Um, it's doable, but it is hard. Uh, and that lack of uh, interaction with people, of really see, looking people in the eye, um, it, it does make me think about the social dynamics that we will all have to navigate going forward. And my kids and your kids, we talked about how people will really learn to how do you trust someone that you're newly introduced to because we take all these facial cues of learning um, trust and trustworthiness um, and, and those things are, are gone. They, those were available in the camera, but they're gone in person. And I'd imagine another wrinkle is that Usually on a campaign, I'd imagine you go to the voter. Yes. And here you're asking them to come to you in some yes. sense, but uh, come to you the, the screen. Join the screen. Yet again, join the screen. And, and there's really not much that's so unique that you can offer on the screen. I did a lot of these types of things. I had video podcasts. I had Nate McMillan. I interviewed him when he was still at Indiana. Um, and so we did a whole Sonics uh, you know, interview as well. Um, interviewed a lot of different people, but it's still really difficult because it doesn't really um, allow for that one-on-one, -on -one for someone to be heard, which is what I think most people want from an elected person. They want to know that they can speak and their voice will be heard. And you offer that in person, but um, if people don't don't join the, the video, then you can't even provide that for them. Um, and so it was very unusual to do, uh, to do f debates and forums uh, in that type of a setting. And, uh, you know, in everyone's home office, you know, we got to know a lot about people, but that's why I'm glad I had my law practice already virtually. It wasn't such a change for that, but, but I missed being able to be on the road uh, and meeting people on a daily basis. And so that was a, a, a very big disappointment. The pandemic has been a challenge for people all over the country. And I'm curious, what about Seattle has made going through that pandemic a little bit easier? I tend to think our weather has been a little bit better. Um, having grown up in Texas where, you know, air conditioning is a way of life. You know, I've never lived in a place with air conditioning here in Seattle. So to be able to be outside, whether it's rainy, uh, it's always kind of just temperate. Um, and that has helped a lot. Um, but that probably the highlight is, is, is just the outdoor weather. Um, the accessibility is another issue of where we can go, but, but at least to be able to go on walks and be outside with my dogs and stuff has been helpful. And could you talk about maybe negatively any aspects of Seattle is making it harder to navigate through this pandemic? Um, I think that the inaccessibility of parks um, and the growing increase of that inaccessibility has been difficult. Uh, I am a soccer coach, a volunteer soccer coach with the Seattle Youth Soccer Association and um, I'm on the board uh, for that nonprofit, and uh, we've we've had difficulty just being able to access parks. You know, to try to have strict COVID protocols uh, for volunteer coaches to provide some type of physical exercise for kids. Um, and a lot of the the city parks are what well, they were first closed, um, and now if some of them are open. Uh, many of them are uh, aligned with the uh, line with encampments. Uh, that makes it really. Um, not hospitable for anybody, right? And it's not a place for anyone to live. It's supposed to be a public asset for everyone and shouldn't be occupied by a few. Uh, and so it's, that's been a difficult part, um, I think, in particular, 
that we don't see in a, a lot of other parts of the country um, or even our state. And so that's been a hard part. When we live in an urban setting and urban parks are kind of, you know, are such a public asset for everyone in this time, as I talked about the mental health, um, we're all talking about that, I think, that the need to be outdoors uh, physically and, you know, for health reasons with COVID, uh, but obviously mentally as well. And so that's been a huge part, as well as the kind of the unkept uh, aesthetics of the city, right? Um, I think that the the lower standard of care that we visibly see actually brings us all down a little level. And that's made it more difficult um, when you're dealing with that mental pain cave of we got to get through this tough time. Um, you want to see things looked cared for because then it, it brings out the best in humanity of, oh, I need to pitch in and do my part and take care of where I live. So I want to talk about the changes in Seattle, you know, beyond just the pandemic in just a moment. But new this year on Seattle Growth Podcast, we're doing trivia. I heard that. Some people are getting the answers right, <laughs> and there's no pressure uh, if you get it wrong. But since you have the Sonics background, <laughs> season two of Seattle Growth Podcast was focused on what a return of the Sonics would mean to Seattle. And one of the guests was multiple-time all-star, NBA all-star, Detlef Shrimp. And so Det. I'm going to give you what I uh, may or may not be a softball question here. What college did Detlef play for? Oh my goodness, we're standing on the very grounds. He was a Husky at the University of Washington. I'm so excited that I knew that one. <laughs> All right, Anne says it with confidence, but we're going to leave Anne. It uh, doesn't seem like Anne's going to be in suspense, but we're going to leave the <laughs> listener in suspense to see whether that confidence is correct. Uh, so I'll, I'll give the answer to the listener in a, in a little bit here, but uh, with that's, confidence. That's awesome. I was wondering Husky. if I get to ask you a trivia question. That's been my burning question for you. <laughs> yes, uh, and I have been put on the spot, so you are free to ask a awesome. trivia question for me either now or as we move along. I'm going to hold it for, for the, the second time when you come back with the answer. Okay, so we will get uh, reverse trivia here <laughs> in just a moment. Now let's transition to Seattle in general. You know, the podcast was started because we were in the midst of a decade of just a boom of a lot of people and money moving into the city. And the, these last nine months feel quite a bit different mm. relative to the 10 years that the, the podcast was kind of started within. Can you talk about these, the changes that you've observed recently that are affecting you personally uh, in a negative way, either personally or professionally, but the changes recently that are affecting you negatively? It is strange to have lived here. I, I moved to Seattle sight unseen uh, from Washington, D.C. And, and it was the first city, uh, D.C. I didn't really think of as like an urban setting, but it was the first city I'd lived in where people actually lived downtown and the di downtown was vibrant. Um, and it was like the place to be. You could go off to pocket neighborhoods, Fremont and Capitol Hill and Finney Ridge and whatnot. But downtown was really thriving uh, in those early years that I was here. Um, and it's been, I used to work downtown uh, a block from the courthouse. I'd walk to the courthouse there on 3rd Avenue. Um, I, I'm glad I've changed my practice to be a virtual practice years ago. Uh, it works with COVID, but I'm sure glad I'm not having to go into the courthouse. Um, we have seen a, a lack of enforcement of laws that are actually on our municipal code. And that is really, again, deteriorating kind of the quality of life for everybody around, for those who are in need of help uh, and for those who follow the rules anyway and are just trying to get through, through their day. Um, and so I think that growth 
um, it's also strange because when I've, I've lived here for 25 years, I still call myself a transplant because I, when I came here, you made it clear that you were not a Seattleite. You did not call yourself a Seattleite, no matter how long you lived here, unless you were born here. And that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. It's kind of interesting where um, there's this whole, you know, we want to welcome everyone, but keep room for people who were here before us. That's a hard balance, um, and I, it's a noble uh, goal. Um, I'm not sure it can always be met, but it's certainly talked about a lot here. But I, I wonder if that truly is wanted by a lot of people because it, it has uh, it has hurt a lot of us because it's become so crowded. Um, I live on a dead end street and it feels like a park because people are out walking so much now again because of the access to places where you can't go. Uh, but I think the growth has been overall good, but um, I think there's a lot of people who feel left out uh, because of just the big move into the, to the city and they were here before. And then any changes in the recent months that have affected you positively? Wow. I even knew you'd ask this question. Um, I don't think so. A any, anything that has been positive for me, I've done it within myself. It's not been from the city. Um, I've only had uh, obstacles, I think. Uh, whether it's you're trying to run your business and regulations are difficult to run a business in the city of Seattle. Um, clients, same thing, uh, and to get your voice heard about, you know, as just a, as a resident um, of the city uh, to your elected, elected people. Uh, so no. So then let's dive deeper into the obstacles. Can you talk any uh, regulations in particular that have been problematic for you as a lawyer? The, the amount of things that I've seen clients have to, the hoops they have to go through because of what type of business they have. Uh, because of where they're located. Um, some of it is state level, but it certainly is added on at, at the city level. Um, and it's, it kind of has this aspect of talking business friendly, but really is not business friendly as we see a lot of businesses exiting um, the city, um, whether it was the head tax or whatnot. But it, it's, uh, um, again, like the, the growth uh, needs to be welcomed but but you don't do it in a way where you exclude or alienate and and that seems to be what what occurs is is the highlighting of one voice that does need to be heard because it's not been heard uh, but you don't do it to the detriment of everyone else and there's just a lack of balancing uh, that i've always seen in the last five to ten years that it has really culminated to where we are now where there's a i think a large sector who feels either unheard or unable to speak out uh, for and for out of fear of retribution. So let's talk now going forward to the future. Nothing positive, uh, no positive changes to reflect upon. What positive changes would you like to see? And let's maybe talk specifically, what would you ask of the listener that could help make Seattle a better place for you? Yeah, I love you asked this question too of people. I think that if you are someone that normally is not civically engaged at the local level, uh, you need to now become so, um, and it, it is critical. We have legislation going through the city right now where they're trying to reclassify certain types of crimes and add new defenses where they would legalize some things. Uh, we have lots of stores that are dealing with you know, theft, right? So we need to be speaking out against things like that if we want to have an orderly, civilized society. We all need to follow the rules and keep ourselves in check and do our part. 
um, and those rules are there to protect, you know, and to enforce, and, and to overlook those things, I think, is a disservice to all of us. Uh, we have people clearly living alongside public right of way and in parks. They are in need of help, addiction services, right? They are in need of shelter. Um, and to just uh, say it's purely a housing crisis and nothing else, I think is, a, again, a disservice to those in need and to those of us who are providing the tax dollars to provide the help. So I think people need to become engaged. They need to do so civilly and respectfully, but they need to make sure that their voice is heard. Join a group that's active and aligns with your, your issues and your interests um, and start to become uh, you know, heard in a respectful way, not some of the mob things that we've had of late. So I'll lighten it up a little bit by uh, before we get to the future of the city and what you expect for it. But I've got to give you the answer to the trivia question. Yes. You are 100% correct. <laughs> your enthusiasm and your confidence uh, was for a reason. So for the listener, awesome. Detlef Schrempf. And how many all-star teams was he named oh, to? Oh, golly. Now you're going to stretch my knowledge. You know, because I know how to run a team and stuff, but it doesn't necessarily know I know a lot about the sport per se. Gotcha. So I know he was, uh, I worked at a sports agency before the Sonics, and he was one of our clients. So I at least knew him coming in uh, to, the, to the Sonics. But um yeah. yeah. Well, he's multiple-time All-Stars. Yes. It's slipping both of our, our memories, but multiple-time All-Star. Detlef Schrempf appeared on Season 2 of Seattle Growth Podcast, and Ann Davison was correct that he played for the Washington Huskies yes. here on these hollowed grounds. Nice. So now let's... Uh, I want to give you a chance for my trivia question, if you had one. Yes. Well, I was trying to decide if I was going to ask you a basketball one. Okay. Or a music one. Ooh, both. Uh, I did seasons on both of them. Yes. And I'll probably fail either one. Well, and I decided the one I asked basketball, people do not know. But I wanted to ask you the music one I decided because I, I want to know how deep back your, your Seattle music knowledge goes. So there was a band, a Seattle band that had a female lead singer. Um, and they played lots of places here. And their name... I guess I could tell you the band name, and then you have to see if you know the lead singer's name. Oh, boy. Okay. The band name was Goodness, and I wonder if you know the lead singer's name. Uh, can you tell us the years that they were oh, primarily Oh, they were in the, like the mid-90s to the late 90s. Okay, so Goodness. Early 2000s. Yeah. And there's a female lead singer. Female lead singer. And I am supposed to guess who that is. Yes. <laughs> That's so hard, probably. And the only <laughs> female singer from the 90s that is coming to my mind at this moment is Courtney Love, who oh. is in Hole. Um, and Good guess. I'm guessing that might not be correct. You and you're go, probably going to. So let's keep the <laughs> listeners on suspense. Uh, in suspense, they, they now know that I don't know nearly as much <laughs> as I ask of my guests. And I now know how, how stressful that is for the guests <laughs> to be put on the spot. Uh, but we'll get to the answer in a moment. Uh, the goodness, your goodness, yes. you said. Goodness. Who the lead singer is. Uh, before we get to that, I want to hear about the future of the city as you see it. Do you think, let's start just with a yes or no question. Do you think that Seattle is going to continue to grow in these next 10 years mm -hmm. as rapidly as it has in the last 10 years or even close? No. Okay, so we've got the, the no. Now the follow-up question, uh, do you think it'll decline and w w in terms of the amount of money and people moving in? And if so, ex explain why. I think it will decline in these next few years. Um, I believe, again, the business landscape 
regulatory landscape here uh, is not one that businesses are going to tolerate much longer. I think there's been attempts to work with people, um, but I, I am not hopeful with the council we have that that's going to work uh, well. And I think some of our neighboring municipalities may see some of that growth. Um, and uh, I know there's still the housing boom going on. I think there's hopes that it might just continue, but I'm not as optimistic for that. And I'm usually quite the optimist. Can you talk a little bit uh, more about just your outlook for Seattle? What do you think it starts to look like in the coming months and years ahead? This is where I will be hopeful. I hope that we start to be more inclusive and not just use the word, where we allow people to speak uh, about their thoughts, whether it's their political thoughts, uh, or their social thoughts about how uh, we interact with one another, but to, to really have it be inclusive and, and not have it be um, a sense of judgment that if you don't agree with me, then you must be in the wrong. Um, that really has kind of overtaken a lot of our uh, city dialogue, I feel like, um, where we're not welcoming of diverse thought, uh, and, and there's a lot of groupthink, uh, and no one is, again, is served when there's that. So if we are able to break free from that groupthink and really allow the diversity and the creativity of individual thought and, and have conversations around that and discourse about strategically how we can keep Seattle growing um, and working for, for most people, I think then we can have hope. And what about long run? So you say in the short run there's reason to think that you think there's going to be a decline maybe 10 20 years do mm. you think seattle is going to be a, a desirable place to live work and do business like it has been the last 10 years for many people yes i do think in 10 years time we'll be uh, almost back to where where we were before covid um, i think be again because of our our geography where we're located what we have to offer i mean i i talked to someone the other day that moved here because they could actually fish in a stream live in the city of seattle and actually get the fish right and they're like this is unheard of and, but now they're like but now we won't do it because there's encampments down the way and so we won't <laughs> catch the fish but but there's hopes for that right like and i grew up in dallas there's no you know you can't have that type of an aspect so what what we have to offer geographically um, is going to to add to that and i think we need to be good stewards of that public land that we are occupying at the moment uh, so that it does become that in 10 years time when when my kids and your kids you know are, are the ones who are going to be in charge and able to vote and participate all right so i want to give you a chance for concluding thoughts but first i'm on the edge of my seat uh, <laughs> Figuratively speaking, as we're standing outdoors, <laughs> what is the answer to the trivia question? It's Carrie Ocker. Oh, okay. Which you may not know her, but man, she has got a rockin' voice. So you'll have to look her up and, and listen to, to some songs. But man, when they played at the Showbox back then, it was just terrific. So. And so you're a live music aficionado yes, then? Yes, love it. So then I have to ask you, since <laughs> we're still talking growth, what do you see for the live venues here in mm. Seattle? Will they be able to bounce back if they close down in this pandemic or uh, will they be some of them be disappearing forever um, I think they will bounce back because we have been put on the map from the 90s from the grunge time period of, of being a music city and, and I do think the our weather uh, is a lot adds a lot to creativity for musicians um, I'm a pianist myself I was my first uh, my first year of college was a piano major so I'm I'm trying to make sure like my son's now a drummer I'm trying to make sure we got some musicians up and coming um, but I think that it will come back uh, it's just gonna be 
probably different. I mean, I really miss those packed places at the Crocodile and at the Showbox and, and the Break Room and stuff. Like we, it was there were some really really good places um, and great bands coming through, uh, and and I think that we will get there again. Hopefully, there's people that really like. I'm even playing the piano more, right? Because again, like what are you going to do at home? There's only so much, you know, so many puzzles or games or whatnot. So you go back to kind of your hobbies that you can do inside. So you're optimistic on the live venues. And now we have to uh, address the other part that you almost asked a trivia question about, which was sports. <laughs> and you worked with the Sonics. Are you optimistic that the Sonics will return to Seattle? And if so, when do you think that'll happen? You know, I released uh, an article, an op-ed. I did an op-ed last year in 2019 about you know, the arena situation and whether or not that's going to be helpful in bringing the Sonics back. I just did an update now that the former Key Arena has been renamed and kind of talking about the naming rights revenue and where that's going. And as we're talking about budget for the city, that's money that we left on the table um, as a city in naming our public asset building. Um, I think that we will get them if we have arena options. Um, I think if we need to make ourselves look attractive to, attractive to the NBA, uh, so where we're the next in line to get a franchise, then I do think that means, as the market has shown us, NBA-only arenas are kind of what the NBA is looking for um, to be in charge of scheduling. It's a difficult game uh, sport to schedule. Um, it'd be difficult to schedule it around hockey. I really do know that. That's, I was in basketball operations. I do know that. Um, and so I think the more options we have available, the more likely we are to get them soon. And I'm hoping it's within five years, right? That's, that's my real hope. I think if we get the, the, uh, the permit, the conditional permit for Occidental down there for Soto Arena, I do think we would be more likely to get them sooner. All right. The thousands of people who listen to season two of Seattle Growth <laughs> podcast about what a return of the Sonics would mean to Seattle are hanging on the edge of their seat now, excited with a little bit more hope <laughs> that the Sonics could return in five years. And for the listener who just moved to Seattle, you know, so many people moved in the last 10 years. They yes. probably don't even know what the Sonics are. I probably should have said the, the National Basketball Association team, Seattle Supersonics, were here before they moved to yes. uh, Oklahoma as the Thunder. Uh, so we've talked about COVID. We've talked about the changes in Seattle, the future of Seattle. We took two tangents for music and sports. <laughs> I want to ask you now, uh, any concluding thoughts? Concluding thoughts for people. Find a way to develop your own personal mental grit. I, I really do. Uh, my dad grew up in the Great Depression and served in the Korean War. He's now passed. There's a certain generation that had a mental grit. Um, and I think we are going to now have that from the pandemic. Uh, I don't think we had it beforehand. We need to find it. We need to have it because we have to get through. Um, and so find how to cope in a way that's healthy for yourself as an individual and doesn't harm anyone else around you, right? That's the main part. We cannot allow people to just be coping in public with substance or, um, or breaking laws that are harmful to others. We need to make sure people are finding a way to, to cope within themselves, connect with others in a way that's kind and respectful and develop that mental grit so we can get through this as a city and be better for it. And thank you very much for joining me today. I appreciate your time and perspective. Loved it. Thanks for having me on. That is all for today's episode of Seattle Growth Podcast. Have an opinion to share? Reach out to me on Twitter, at Prof Shulman. I enjoy hearing how listeners like you are reacting to the interviews. That's at Prof Shulman on Twitter. Still to come on this season of Seattle Growth Podcast are interviews with NBA champion Wally Walker, the Seattle Kraken's VP of Community Engagement and Social Impact, Mari Horita, 
and the president and CEO of Benbridge Jewelers, Lisa Bridge. Subscribe to Seattle Growth Podcast in your favorite podcasting app so you don't miss a single episode. Or find Seattle Growth Podcast and radio show on your local airwaves. I hope you'll join me next week. And in the meantime, I'm Jeff Shulman, and I thank you for joining me on this journey in the return of Seattle Growth Podcast and radio show.